Today, you've prepared some information for us. It's going to be super awesome on the nine steps to securing financing, even in today's lending climate, right? So we're going to give the inside tips and tricks from somebody who's been there, done that. Hello and welcome to the Remarkable CEO Podcast, a show dedicated to chiropractors who want to transform their job into a business so that they can have a remarkable practice as part of a remarkable life, not instead of one. With your hosts, Dr. Pete Camiolo and Dr. Stephen Franson. What's up, Remarkables? Hey, welcome to another episode of the Remarkable CEO Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Franson, and I'm excited to have one of our remarkable experts joining us for a conversation today on funding and financing. Um, I'd like to welcome Corey Biddle from Financial Core to the call. Corey, what's up, brother? Thanks so much for giving us your time. Hey, thrilled to be here. Happy to be able to spread the word and uh, help out these uh, young entrepreneurs on their journey. Awesome, man. We're going to talk about money. Uh, so you're talking to uh, a whole bunch of chiropractors out there around the world who are themselves on a journey. You know, So they are going from being an owner-operator to a CEO of their business. They love to talk about business. They definitely love to talk about money. Today, we're going to have a very specific conversation because you know there's a lot of energy around launching and starting a new business and starting a new practice, especially around the Remarkable Practice because we've got our new Remarkable Launch Program, which we're super excited about. So we're going to create some resources and more information for those doctors who are looking to launch their own practice and one day become their own CEO. I thought this was a relevant conversation for this audience. And truth be told, we're going to talk a lot about a startup. We're going to talk about a new practice. That might be somebody who's in school who's getting ready to start a practice or somebody who's just a recent graduate who's going to start a practice. But it could also be an established associate doctor who's ready to go out and start their own practice. Or maybe somebody who is getting back into practice, like my wife, you know, like after having babies and leaving practice for a while, she, she'd be somebody who's going back into practice and starting a practice. Or maybe even somebody who is an established practitioner and wants to become an enterprise and plant multiple practices, right? So this is a broad topic, but we're going to get as specific as possible. We'll talk through the lens of a new business startup. And today you've prepared some information for for us. It's going to be super awesome on the nine steps to securing financing, even in today's lending climate, right? So we're going to give the inside tips and tricks from somebody who's been there, done that. Our team has launched over a thousand practices, which is pretty badass. So uh, we've been around the track quite a bit and we love working with somebody like you guys who are, you know, you're this sort of broker, consultant, uh, a facilitator, somebody gets in the middle and says, listen, we've got lots of banking relationships. We're going to help you get the money that you need to start your business. So, you know, you can describe your business better than I can. So why don't you have at it? What do you guys do at Financial Core? And, uh, you know, how do you help this process along? Yeah, well, we've been financing the uh, American dream since 1991. So the company started out on the equipment finance side. And about eight years ago, we branched off and had the SBA division founded and we deal with all types of financing if you're a business owner. So 99% of what we do is through the SBA. You know, about half our volume are new startups. The other half is, uh, you know, expansions, mergers, acquisitions, things like that. But we're not just your average uh, broker that says, here's a lender, go, you know, good luck to you, have a nice day. 
we like to talk to people as early as possible. You know, proper planning prevents poor performance, and that's where we come in. You know, we're the consultant that takes you from A to Z. We want to talk to you. I love talking to the guys that haven't graduated yet because it's a blank slate and I can help them prepare and set them up for success. That's like the most exciting thing is seeing somebody I talked to a year ago come out and now they're ready to open their office and they're hitting the ground running and they actually followed your advice. It's a very, you know, satisfying thing. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> it is. It is. It's like, yes. <laughs> I just want to put a plug in there for that because I needed to hear this when I was a student or a new grad or, you know, it's sphincteric experience, like starting a new business and it, and it's almost always the money piece of it. Right. So it's really mm -hmm. scary. You know, at the end of the day, you've already made this massive investment in your education, right? So you're most likely already upside down, right? So your debt to income ratio is all jacked up, right? You're about to like say, all right, now I'm going to start another, here's a new venture. So I'm going to need money to do construction costs and buy equipment. I'm going to need operations money for the first, you know, six to 12 months before I'm cash flow positive, et cetera. I mean, it's a scary thing. And I'll tell you what, it is, the journey is rife with opportunities to make stupid mistakes and paying the dumb tax. And you're going to spend so much money getting this practice up off the ground. Just don't spend any more money than you have to. So working with an expert like you guys, speeding things up, compressing time, which saves money, and just keeping you from making, making expensive mistakes. I just want to be the champion of that. Like, Guys, you don't have to make this up on your own. This is not trial and error. You do not want to do this. That'll get wicked expensive, wicked fast. Yeah, the uh, the system works, right? We we operate in a certain fashion in certain order because it it does work. And the fortunate thing about being a chiropractor is that banks are familiar with chiropractors. So you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. As long as we run the play and we have everything set up properly, we can get you financed. So Let's do it, man. All right. So you're going to tell us insider scoop, look behind the curtain. What are the nine steps to securing financing? Let's get after it. Yeah, let's start with um, step one. This is going to be SBA loans demystified. So, so step one, this is, you have to really deep dive into your personal finances. And this is where I like to talk to you in the beginning. Like the second that you think I want to open my own practice, what do I need to do? Let's have that phone conversation. Because with, yes, you're getting a business loan, but your business doesn't exist. So the bank, it's all about you. Everything with a startup is about you. So everything's going to depend on your credit and your funds. If you have a good credit score and you have what lenders call liquidity, you're getting a loan. It just depends on how big of a loan and where you're getting it from. So what we recommend is you, if, we talk, if we're talking to a year, six months in advance, we need you to figure out a way, whether it is a bonus, gift funds, whatever, to come up with 20% of your anticipated project costs. And if you're working with a group like the Remarkable Practice, you know, they've got the systems, they've got the plans in place. They can tell you roughly what that dollar amount may be that you're going to need to get open. So, you know, let's formulate that plan from the start. We can get those funds secured 90 days before application. Makes things significantly easier. Other thing that we can do on our end is, you know, we have the capability of doing a soft credit pool. So if you're like, I don't really know where my credit is or, hey, my credit karma, well, credit karma is, you know, throw that out the window, please. So let's look at it. We can do a soft pull. If there's something on your credit report that needs remedying, we can tell you to do that. And the longer of a period that we have between the time we're having that initial conversation and the time that you're trying to apply, 
the better chance of success we have because we've got more time to make the little tweaks. So step one, before you do anything, as soon as it hits in your head, hey, I want to open up my own practice, you got to look in the mirror and go, all right, am I capable of getting a loan? Would I give me a loan? Credit and money. If you've got those two things, then then you're solid. So it's an interesting first step. For some of you, you might think maybe that's counterintuitive. It's like, well, wait a minute, I'm starting a business, so I need a business loan. But the reality is, is you are the business at this point. They're loaning you the money and you have no proven history as a business or there's no ent no no entity yet. So you're going to show up and you, you they're taking a gamble on you. They're taking a bet on you. So, you know, this is the brutal facts love language of the remarkable practice is like, don't delay, don't, don't procrastinate this. Get in there and find out exactly what is what does your record look like, right? Let let's let's pull all your financial records. Let's get a clear snapshot of where you are because they're going to do it, right? So give yourself enough ample time. Like you said, you want to be able to get in there and scrub that thing, Corey. And whatever cha changes you can make over the time period you have, the more time, the better, right? To be able to put yourself in the best light to make you a much more attractive person to loan money to. Love it. That kind of segues perfectly into, into step two for us. It's going to be entity formation and you get some mixed wisdom, depending on who, who you speak to about this, but the way it, it works with the bank lenders, and you'll notice that as a common theme, there's bank, bank language, and then there is traditional wisdom and they don't right. always align. So the way an SBA loan is structured is the business entity is the borrower. But the individual owners in one over 20% are guarantors. Again, if you're not open, the guarantor matters more than anything else. But there's a caveat to that. SBA guidelines require lenders to pull business credit scores. Well, how do I have a business credit score if I don't have an entity? You don't. So we recommend as soon as you've got your plan laid out and you've looked at yourself and you go, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. It's not going to hurt you to form your entity early. Bank, if you form your entity last night and you apply for a loan the next day, some lenders are going to go, is this a fly-by-night operation or have you been planning for this for a while, right? Not always the case. They'll do an entity to be formed ordeal, but it makes it look like this has been in your pipeline for a certain length of time. Plus, the second that you form that business entity, whether it's a corporation, LLC, that part doesn't matter so much. That's between you and your accountant, how you want to handle that you start building business credit. So right. get your business entity formed. Go find a local banking institution and open yourself a business bank account. I don't care if it's got 500 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever the minimum is. Open it and get it started. Because having that, those things get reported to the credit bureaus like Dun & Bradstreet and all the, the business credit bureaus, and it helps you boost your score. Plus, <clears throat> if we're getting you an SBA loan, SBA loans, you know, lenders are national. The likelihood that we're going to get you a loan with a bank that is in your backyard, you know, that, that happens, but it doesn't always happen. So you're going to want to have somewhere established where you can walk in and cash a check or do whatever you need to do. Having that already figured out and established in the beginning helps significantly. Now, the other thing to take into consideration here, I'm not an attorney. We don't give legal advice. All I can share is past experiences and what we see, right? So figure out who you want to have in that ownership with you. Do you want to include your spouse on your entity or not? So something to consider there is if, if you do have a spouse and you put them on that business entity and give them more than 20%, there's a 99% chance, you know, based on what we've seen, that they're going to make them guarantee the loan with you. 
And we don't always have to have spouses guarantee. Just depends on your financial strength or if your spouse has outside income or whatever. So if you want it, hey, I just want to do this. I don't want to involve my significant other. If if I have one, you, you know, you might want to leave them off the entity until you're established. You know, you can add them on later, but that just, it simplifies it. It takes somebody else out of the equation, less documents. And then it also gives you the opportunity to grab the documents that you're going to need. Articles of incorporation, organization, operating agreement, uh, you know, are you going to do a DBA? Make sure you get your EIN number. That's all stuff you can get out of your way early. Then you don't have to worry about it. You've got it. Never expires. Throw it in a folder. Send it to us. You're done. I love that. I love that. So the simpler, the better is almost always the rule. Okay. There may be situations where like with my wife and I, when she's a chiropractor, we were going into business together. So, you know, we were both involved in the business process, the application, the paperwork, et cetera. But we made some decisions, corporate structure, how we're setting up the banking, how we set up ownership, where we set up ownership, where we set up the corporate entity, right? So this, this is why you have an attorney, right? So to help you with those answers as well as your accountant, right? So this is all part of your dream team. So Corey is, you know, would be part of a financial corp and a consultant like this would be part of that dream team. These are experts and consultants that can help you get their, your head around. It's like, what is an EIN number? <laughs> so how do I get that? What is an operations agreement? What is that? Like, you know, it's like all of these languaging that you're hearing, right? So there, you know, this terminology, all of it has some work for you to do behind it, right? So Corey, I've got a question for you on, um, is there wisdom here? You know, I love the idea of like, getting that entity established as early as possible, starting some banking history, right? Open up, start a banking relationship with a bank and a banker, by the way, and having monies in an operations account, a checking account, maybe a business savings account. And then does it also make sense to have a credit card, maybe like getting a, a corporate American Express card and starting that process to again, build that credit with the business? Does that make sense? Or would that work against you? It, it, it would as long as you're, you have to go back to your credit profile. You don't want to have too many hard inquiries on your credit profile. They SBA scrutinizes inquiries a little bit more than other traditional loan programs like a yes. mortgage do. But if you have a strong score, not a whole lot of in, you know inquiries and anything like that, then that's not necessarily going to hurt you. It's a common question we get asked. Hey, when can I do that? You know, amongst the, during the process, I wouldn't recommend doing it once you're in with the lender during the process. You don't want to touch your credit at that point. But if right. we're talking six months in advance and you want to go ahead and open one up, don't go crazy spending on it because it will hurt you if you do. And there it are will, it will yeah. hurt you a lot more than it will help you. Like yeah, so absolutely, you know, this is this is a you're drifting into big big boy and big girls uh, world now, right? So it's like you've got to make sure that you are on it like a bonnet when it comes to mm -hmm. your you know if you have a credit card, like whatever you're doing. You know, one slip up would be much, much more damaging than six months of good, you know, uh, mm -hmm. diligence with with paying off your bill. So just be cautious with that. Yeah. All right. Great. What's step three? Here we go. So bank doesn't know you. They don't know who you are. They don't know what your background is. And uh, how do we get them to feel comfortable giving you hundreds of thousands of dollars? Right. <laughs> so it's not going to be on good faith. But now we're back to proper planning prevents poor performance. And how do you do that? You have a business plan. And uh, I know Remarkable Practice has some, you know, great guides for that out there. Thing to do in here, this is where, again, bank logic will differ a little bit from traditional wisdom. A lot of business plans will have like financial projections and I'll throw my resume in there and that's good enough. And here's my business plan. Do I get a loan? Uh, no, <laughs> you usually don't when you have it in like that. 
your resume is not enough. You need to talk about yourself, brag about yourself. I've got all this experience. If you don't have experience, look at what all I learned. Leverage every little thing that you can and brag about yourself as much as you can within reason, right? Inside of that business plan so that the bank understands who you are. They understand your drive, why you want to do what you want to do. You know, what's your what's your goal? And then they'll have a better understanding of who you are. Besides, you're not just a credit report. You know, you're not a credit score to them anymore. Now you're a person. And um, SBA lending has a very qualitative aspect that others don't. It's very story-based. If they don't like your business plan, not a checkbox where, okay, this cash flows all the time. So if they get a bad feeling about somebody, then you don't have a deal. So the business plan is crucial for a startup. We don't need to overthink it, though. Chiropractors don't need a 30, 30, 40, 50 page business plan for a bank loan. It's great to have one if you want to have all those steps outlined for yourself. Banks know chiropractors. Banks know chiropractic. As long as they understand who you are in there, then, then you're typically good to go. My recommendation on the financial projection piece of it is to have it separate from your business plan because, again, bank logic, sometimes they make tweaks. Projections on startups are pie in the sky. It's not always going to make, you know, they may say, you got to pay yourself more. Let's make this tweak. Well, now if it's in your business plan and you have a bunch of graphs, how hard is that to edit versus it's on an Excel that's separate? And then, that's right. And you can segregate yeah. it and take it. So keep it simple. That's exactly how we coach it. So to be able to have these components that you get tease apart and make adjustments. And I love the idea of like, you know, guys, you got to recognize you're asking a bank to invest in you. It's it's not like these people visualize, visualize that a bank has got just this vault full of money <laughs> and, and they're they're rolling out back and they're like, okay, give them a wheelbarrow full of cash and we're going to charge them an interest rate. They are taking risk, right? So the name of the game is risk mitigation. Reduce our risk and show us that you're going to be successful, right? So ensure us that your business is going to be successful, right? So there's a couple of things that you need to think about, right? So before you even show up, if they know that you're a chiropractor and you're going to open a chiropractic business, they understand the chiropractic business. They have data on the chiropractic business, right? So that they're going to that that they know already. Then you're going to tell them about your chiropractic business, right? And you've got to tell a compelling story that says to them this person knows what they're talking about and I can see that it's relative to what we would expect on average in a chiropractic practice they're in the realm you know it's great that they're ambitious it's good that they're aggressive and here's their plan and I, and and you're convincing them that this is why we're going to outperform the averages you know what have you right then they want to know about you your history your experience right like what Corey was saying is like tell them a compelling story here we go guys you're vision casting this is what you're going to do for a living get used yeah. to it you know this person they've got to buy into you they're betting the jockey here, right? So they're like, okay, so now I get that. And then objectively, they're going to look at your credit history, right? They're going to look at your credit score. So Corey, it's great advice, man. Love it. What's step four? Now, the, the thing I'll note here is steps one through five, as I'm going through them, are they're kind of being worked on congruently, you know, all at the same time. They're not necessarily a, if you do your entity after you do your business plan, don't worry, you're not off track. It, it, it's, you're working together for the common goal in the beginning here, but, um, Step four, the way I've got it outlined, is going to be your location search. Just like I say in real estate, location, location, location. It is that important. Reason being is it can have a huge impact on your loan request. You know, I, as a, how we like to package loans is I like to package a loan to a lender after I already have a, a letter of intent for a location where I've at least got it narrowed down to two. I don't like submitting loan requests prior to that because we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. One is going to be how much is your rent? And we have to budget that with your projections and make sure it cash flows, right? Number two, 
Build outs can vary substantially depending on what leaf space you end up getting. Exactly. So you may have 50 grand in your budget for just a facelift, right? Without any permits. And then you turn around and get this location that you, oh, I love the street it's on. But guess what? Now it needs $150,000 work. So that is a huge difference in lenders when it comes to lease sold improvements and loan amounts that are smaller. You know, SBA does loans up to 5 million. Anything that's under a million, that's not a big loan to them. They don't even charge a guarantee fee. So getting a lender comfortable with the build out it takes the right lender is what I'm trying to say here. And there's a lot of lenders. If we were to send it to a $50,000 facelift, that's a, you know, full disbursement here. Here's your money. Have, have a nice day. That lender's not always going to pivot and do the $150,000, $200,000 build out. That's knocking out walls. So now you, you know, you may get into some trouble there. So get it, find it, have an idea where it is. You don't have to sign anything. Don't sign your lease yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, just figure out where you're going so we can come up with our budget in the beginning. You know, we can start getting those general contractor quotes and everything like that. Um, and the last thing is most lenders on these standard 7A loans want some type of landlord subordination waiver. Sounds like a big term. It's not as big of a deal as, as some landlords make it out to be. One major pitfall of these loans falls in landlord negotiations. Most delays in a um, SBA loan are either borrower self-inflicted or because of an outside third party, an appraiser, a landlord, somebody's attorney, something like that. It's usually not the bank, believe it or not. And that subordination waiver, a, a lender will give you upfront. That way you can kind of include that. I'm not going to go into what all, all the details um, in too much detail, but that way you can present it to the landlord upfront you know, you can work through that. The more negotiating and work through we do in the beginning, the smoother of a process we have in the end. You don't right. want to sign a lease, right? Go on a 10-year lease and turn around and, oh, landlord, by the way, I need this document signed or I can't get a loan. And it involves the landlord, you know, making some sort of a guarantee. Landlord's going to go, huh? You know, they're going to feel like they got bait and switched. And then that could be argumentative. So let's find our location, figure that piece out up front, do that legwork. And it just makes things significantly smoother later on. It is a bit of a dance too, right? Like you said, these three things really are being done concurrently, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing your business plan and your financials while you are trying to find a location and settle down on a lease and all of that, what that entails, you know, rent and the cost of the build out, et cetera, like really get trying to get a construction plan. Like it's like all of mm -hmm. those things are happening concurrently. Meanwhile, you're trying to get your funding. Right. And you can't get funding until you have a lease. You can't get lease until you have a funding yeah. funding. Right. So it is like a chicken and the egg scenario that you just have to be agile and you've got to be fully ready and informed. You know, as we're coaching doctors through this, it just we just set their expectation. It's like, listen, we're going to do this on our toes, not on our heels. And we're going to fully anticipate that there's going to be these levels of variance. There's going to be these contingency plans as you go. This is not these are not new waters you want to navigate right. on your own. Right. And if, you know, when you're trying to navigate a song and dance like that, if you've got two left feet like I do, make sure you do it early on so yeah. that you're not, you're not stumbling at the end. Just to yeah. Takeaway take here, guys, as once again, is the earlier you get to this, the better. Right. So that your all your expert teams will always tell you, just get to this early. Otherwise, it's self-imposed stress. 
Mm -hmm. Because all of these steps are going to need to happen, right? So it's like, why slam it into six months? It, frankly, you can't do it in six months anymore, right? So it's just like, you cannot slam this into six months. Pull it across 15 months. You know, it's just like, let's get into this. Let's get this process as early as possible. Hey, Doc, let's face it. 95% of your problems are people problems. You can't find A players. You can't keep A players. You don't know how to leverage your team, create expectations and agreements or hold people accountable in order to optimize your team. Doc, what would happen to your practice if you were finally able to get the right people in the right seats, doing the right work the right way? For most chiropractors, it would be a game changer. You'd increase your capacity and see more people. You'd make a bigger impact and a bigger income. You'd be able to delegate and scale your business. Or maybe you'd need to get your associate relationship dialed in. That would mean you getting your time freedom back. You could get a handle on your schedule, maybe even become a CEO. If this is what you want your 2024 to sound like, make sure that you join us for the remarkable team building immersion in Phoenix, Arizona, January 26th and 27th, or in Brisbane, Australia, March 8th and 9th. I personally will be there and I can't wait to be back in Australia. Doc, bring your team with you. Get everyone on the same page. They'll be back in your office on Monday with more clarity, accountability, and purpose than ever before. Energize and mobilize your team and see your practice grow. What are your goals for 2024, Doc? Is it a seven-figure foundation, a seven-figure revenue, seven-figure profit, or maybe even a seven-figure exit? Whatever season you're in, you'll need a seven-figure team. Click the link in the show notes below and register today. The next step, again, this is all part of that same song and dance, but this is where financial work kind of comes in a little uh, heavier in the process is your actual document preparation. You're probably going document preparation. We've been talking about that the whole time. You know, I've, I've got to get all these quotes and lease and all that. Well, the thing about SBA lending or really just business loans or any loans in this modern era, they're very, very document intensive, but do not let that intimidate you. There's a lot of documents out there that are just proprietary forms, because you got to remember the SBA is government backed anytime you're dealing with the government, right? But they're also giving the lenders a guarantee. And if they want to have document X, Y, and Z in their file in order to give them that guarantee, guess what? We're going to do document X, Y, and Z. In um, triplicate. In triplicate. That's right. And they'll have to be stamped and notarized. So the thing is, we use generic SBA forms. We don't use any bank proprietary forms. I don't care if I think I know exactly what lender it's going to. Because why why do it twice when you're when you're trying to get you know work towards a term sheet? The quality of your documents can really make or break a loan request. And we, you know, we can help with that, but there's certain things that we can't, you know, I can't go get your tax returns for you. You know what I mean? You have to go get that from your accountant. You, when, when we ask you for unredacted returns all pages, if you send something that's a transcript or you send something that's missing this, that, and the other, and it and it makes its way to the bank. You don't want the bank because they don't know you, right? And you have no history. If we make the impression to the bank that we are disorganized or we annoy them somehow because every time we send a doc, it's wrong, <laughs> they're not going to have the best impression of us. And that's where that trust qualitative fact comes in. That's right. They're not going to trust you. For you lose trust, thousand. you lose the deal. And, that's that, it. and this is all about creating momentum, velocity, and maintaining that trust. 
if, if you know, if this guy can't fill out this one form correctly, how is he going to manage a $300,000 practice? Right. Exactly. All risk waiting to happen. And that's, it's something simple like that is all it takes for an underwriter to go, mm, I'll pass. Not going to do it. So I'm out. Yeah. yeah, it's, this yeah, is, it's, it's one giant shark tank it <laughs> for is, a year. It is. So just don't let it intimidate you. There's a lot of docs. That's what we're here for to help you navigate through that. But you, you have to prioritize them and you have to get them done. There's not a negotiation when it comes to documents. Yeah, I, I can't send you a needs list. And then you call me up and go, there's 15 documents here. Can I just give you six? You, you can get me alone that way, right? Not how, that's not how it works. You, you have to be able to, this is, a, this is an investment in your business just like anything else. That's right. This is a non-monetary investment. This is a time investment, but it's a major time investment. And you have to remember, what return am I getting on this investment? I'm getting my doors open. I'm getting hundreds of thousands of dollars invested into me by a third party for my you know, financial future and for my success. So that's right. The documents, that's right. well, they can seem, you know, it's just the minutia. It's just the monotony. They're important. Grit and bear, get it done. If, you, if you're not the best at it, you can have spouse do it. Whoever can do it, that's going to do a good job. But just, there's a lot of them. Bear with it. It's non-negotiable. You got to get it done. And it's just another part of the process. So Corey, I'm allergic to paperwork. Uh, so <laughs> me too, believe it or not. Yeah. The, the reality is, is that this would be enough to cause me to procrastinate. Okay. Mm -hmm. And delay and put off and come up with all kinds of stories and excuses because I'd rather go in there with brute force and make everything happen. But at the end of the day, this is table stakes gang. We're listening to you right now. It's like, this is table stakes. You have to go through these steps in order to own a business. Right. So the reality is, is that there's a list there is a set of documents that are going to need to be prepared. They need to be done right. They're going to need to be properly. And, you know, it's so beneficial. How many of these have you done, Corey? Just just a, a, a round number, if I was it. How many of these packages have you helped people put together? I mean, this what we did last year. About 200 between last year and this year. Right. And so um, in the last in the last year and a half, 200 of these packages yeah. and bundles have done. You want to sit with somebody who's done 200 of these and be like, okay, sign here, 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 and here. This is what this is. Right? Like, don't tr don't delay this. Don't don't deny this. It's going to get done if you want to get funded. So awesome, man. Yep. How about step six? So this is where the fun actually begins. Um, step six is basically where we have our location. You know you're financially solid. We've got your document package in hand. We are ready to submit to a lender to get a term sheet. What in the world is a term sheet? In the SBA world, that is basically your pre-approval. So when they like the deal, a lender will issue a non-binding term sheet. This isn't a commitment to lend, anything like that. This basically just outlines the terms of it. Interest rate, prepayment penalty, yes or no, you know, yada, yada. Now this, when you get your term sheet in hand, this is when all your timeframes actually kick in. So an SBA 7A loan, let's take construction out of the equation and say we're not doing that. An SBA 7A loan on average takes 60 to 70 days to close just because there's so many different pieces going on. Yeah, they can be a little faster than that, but I like to quote you the actual real world, what happens. And right. I like to set that expectation correct. And I'm always going to gear you towards the higher side or the worst case scenario, because if you fall to your highest level of preparation, right? If we're prepared for the worst case, it's not going to impact us. If we're not, yep. you know, we, we won't be the reason that we slow it down, right? Yeah. So it's just like, yeah. yeah, just on your side yeah. of the equation, don't be the one that slows it down. That's right. So when you get that term sheet in, 
most lenders are going to want a good faith deposit from you um, before that they will begin operating. So that's where you'll you'll make that deposit with them. Those kind of deposits get. What, what does that usually uh, look like? Depends on how big loan is. Honestly, there's some lenders that don't for under under half a million. Those those are you know, kind of rare. What would you say your average loan is for a startup um, in the, looking at the last 200? Yeah, a non-franchise startup is going to come in between 150 on the super light side and 250. Your franchises, like your aligned lives of the world, probably 250 to 350, even 400 if that build-out goes a little crazy. Um, your average earnest money deposit up front, 1,500 to 2,500. I've seen it as high as 5,000 if, yep. uh, if, if it's a really kind of a iffy deal. They may, you know. With great numbers, and they fall right into the exactly the numbers we're using in the remarkable launch program because that's what we've seen as well. 150 to 250, count on 200 and be prepared if it's 250 and be ready 2,500 to 5,000 for earnest money. So that's great. Yep. So once you're in with the bank, you get your term sheet signed, you'll go to what's called pre credit. This is getting your package ready for underwriting, and this is kind of where. All the work that we've done previously starts to shine, right? We ask as, you know, your consultant for a large financial package that's probably a few more documents than what we actually need for a term sheet. The perk of that, though, is when you get to pre-credit, that's usually where the bank's chasing all these documents. Guess what? They've already got them. So now all you need from term sheet to go directly into underwriting is here's IRS authorization form to get your transcripts. Here's some monotonous in-house docs. Some banks do only work on their own in-house stuff. So maybe they'll ask you to redo a personal financial statement on their thing or whatever. They'll, they'll usually fill it out for you and just have you doc sign it. They're, they're not going to make you do the whole thing if it's an in-house doc. But once we get here, the ball's in your court. The bank moves as fast as you do. So if the bank goes, I need this one document to send you to underwriting, and it takes you two weeks to get that back to them, don't send that document at 6 p.m. on a Friday. And then start blowing the bank up at 8 a.m. on Monday because guess what? They don't work on weekends. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you took two weeks to get that back to them. Okay. You're not the only loan that they have. We have to remember that. We are, when you're dealing with the bank, we, we want them to recognize who we are. We're not their only, we are a cog in a machine to an extent. So that machine's going to keep on running, but it's going to, they, they mirror our mentality towards them. If it's taken us two weeks to get them a document back, and then guess what? They might take two weeks to get back to us and underwrite. That's if right. we're super fast and prompt, they're going to go, hey, this loan might close quick. You know, let's get this one expedited. This These guys are a pleasure to work with, right? And they have a very positive right. feel about us because we're quick. And um, it just it just works out significantly. So again. Yeah, you got to play ready golf. You got to be play, yeah. playing ready football, right? It's just like you, when, it's, when it's your turn to take action, take action, turn things right around. If you delay and drag your feet, they're going to delay and drag your feet. Next thing you know, there's a culture and a relationship. We do not want to be the one that slows it down. All right. How about step seven? All right. Well, this is kind of segued into this. This is underwriting. So once we've passed pre-credit, we've got them all their docs. Still not done with documents. So you go to underwriting, and this is where the underwriter is going to look at everything that we package for them. Underwriters have to really understand your loan request and they really have to understand you because if you've ever seen a credit memo that they have to submit to the SBA, you're, you're, uh, you'd be bald like me because that credit memo is 50, 60, 70, 100 pages sometimes if the deal's really convoluted. So imagine having to write 50 pages about somebody you have never met. 
they're going to have questions now that's because right. you're we're a chiropractor and if it's a bank that's familiar with chiropractors you might not have that many questions but they are going to come back with something they may request another document whatever it is they're going to they look through every page of your tax returns they look through every bank statement if there's a deposit they see or if there's something on your tax return that they want additional clarifying info from it's what it is and we try to mitigate that up front every underwriter looks at it differently so you know we can't predict what they're going to want to see but the thing is anything that comes any request that an underwriter makes that's mission critical you do not make an underwriter wait if they want to see x y and z because they don't they're only allowed to take on so many loans as an underwriter at one time and if you're sitting there him hauling around and we're preventing them from going on to an ex and they, you know, they get paid by their loan volume. <laughs> That's right. You get that underwriter what they need. And the goal is to get it back to them within, you know, 48 hours, 24 hours, if, if it's even that, because it's usually not something, they're not going to ask you for a new business plan. <laughs> they're asking you for something that's some minutia here and there just for clarification or a clarifying question. Give so, us an example of that. Like what would they be wanting back from you, for example, Corey? Yeah. So there could be something that, especially credit oriented, you know, we can fix a lot up front, but say you have a history of maybe, maybe you had a rough time, maybe you've been an associate for a while, COVID hit, and you had some derogatories on your credit report. We try to get letters of explanation and all that up front just so that we can present that in the initial package. But, yeah. you know, they might go, what was the exact amount of that charge off and get me something from this credit bureau or, you know, whatever that may be, or they may look at a tax return and go, why did you claim yada yada as a dependent this year, not that year? They're not your child. They want to know that kind of things because that's right. They they are, there's also a you know anti money laundering and all that aspect to it. They just have to understand what it is, and if anything is outside the norm, they have to be able to explain it. Not every question an underwriter asks you is a oh they're going to deny my loan because they're asking about this. Usually they just want something for the file. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Help me flesh out the story. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They want to help you get approved more times than not. You know, there's, right. there's some underwriters out there, that are, but the vast majority, they're on our side too. So they're in the business of loaning money. Right? That's right. So, they don't get a loan, they don't get paid. Yeah. So, Work with them like they're working with you, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's not a contentious relationship. Yeah. How about that, step eight? Well, well, I'm going to piggyback on that one more time because some underwriters do have calls. Not every bank is going to do that, but some underwriters will have a call with you and just piggybacking off of what you just said. They're on your side. And if that call happens, you're collaborative, you're very responsive, and you're very positive. Don't go into that with a confrontational attitude or feel like you're backed in a corner because you're talking to an underwriter. That's not the case. Be casual, be professional, have your stuff together. Again, they just want to know about you. That's all it is. They're on your side. So that's right. Now on to step eight, loan commitment. So that is basically where the bank says the underwriter goes, I'm comfortable with this deal. I'm signing off on it. Some banks, the underwriters have signing authority to where that's all you need. Other banks, especially with larger loans, they'll send you to a credit committee, underwriter will approve, and then they need some signatures. You know, so that can take a little longer in underwriting, but loan commitment is where the loan the lender is saying your loan's approved as long as you don't go and buy a ferrari and mess up your credit report or anything crazy you know you don't get any warrants <laughs> for your arrest or you know anything off the wall then they're gonna they're gonna fund your loan this is the 
part where we recommend start doing like if you've got a lease and you didn't want to sign your lease because you didn't know you're getting a loan now is the time because the bank says yes that's it this is also the time you, you go from loan commitment to closing and this is the time where you might be asked these docs that we got you originally can you go and re, you know resign here do all that and this some people can view that as a frustration, I already sent them this. Well, guess what? Now they've, they've already got all this stuff together. They've approved your loan. So yeah, they just have to dot their, you know, cross their T's and dot their I's before they send the stuff to the SBA. So help, if them, help them get it across the yeah. goal line. Don't, don't, yeah. don't fight them. Yeah, on that's them. it. Don't hinder them. Like if you complain that, Hey, uh, the, why are you asking me for this doc again? They're not just going to come back and go, okay, yeah, my bad. They're still going to make you do the document. Right. So you've got nothing to gain and everything to nothing lose. Nothing to gain. Just do it. Just do it and you're done. This is also where your third party delays start coming up. Like when we're segueing between loan commitment and I'll go ahead and flip it over to closing because they all flow seamlessly. If you did delay work up front with your landlord and you did delay work up front with your general contractor and you've got all your quotes, you've got your equipment quotes from your equipment guys and all that stuff ready to go. When you get your closing checklist, it is going to be a breeze. Yeah, there's going to be some docs, like you know, right? there's some construction stuff that they have to sign to make sure that the builder's not some fly-by-night guy, you know, they have to have all those certifications. But if you did that legwork up front we were talking about, closing's not going to be much of an issue. If you didn't, this is where all your third-party delays are going to hit. Like I've seen loan commitments come and then a guy still doesn't close for like 90 days because... One contractor fell through and then they had another contractor and the bid was bad. And then you just kept on and bank can't close you until they get all that together. Another point here, as we're dealing with like leases, landlords, and all this stuff's coming together at the end, know that your average lease has a couple different dates in it. And this isn't common knowledge to somebody that's never dealt with a commercial lease, right? You've got your lease effective date and then you've got your rent effective date. And those dates aren't always the same. So right. your lease effective date is what your loan goes by. A, a lender isn't going to close you on this loan until your lease effective date and you get possession. You know, possession can mean, a, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to mean you're moved in. You know, you're just ready to take over. You got, the, you got keys and, yeah, and you can yeah. open the door and get in the premise. That's when they'll close you. So, hey, they're not going to give me rent for six months. That's fine. Put your rent commencement date out. But your lease commencement date, if your lease commencement date is six months from now, you're not closing your loan for six months, you know, and approvals can expire and on lender 90 to 120 days later. That's right. They you want you in want. business so that you can yeah. pay them back. That's right. Yeah. You don't, you don't want your approval to expire. You don't want all that. So you need to have this stuff ironed out and figured out. That way you don't have a surprise at the end. Oh, I'm approved. Mm, I can't close for another 120 days. Like nothing yeah, takes excited. wind out of your sale <laughs> like that more. Like, yeah, I just got approved. Now I got to wait four months. This <laughs> is such an important, it's such an important point. And I'm going to say this again, is that this, these are, I wish it was a, just a linear stepwise sequence of prize. You do this, and then you do that. And then you do this. And, you know, we've got our 21 step roadmap for launching. And, and that's, and, and that's only because we couldn't send you a three-dimensional holograph, <laughs> the hologram that was showing you that actually these things need to be done, done concurrently. There's things that are happening simultaneously and it's three steps forward here, two steps forward there, four steps forward there, one step forward there. And you're just keep moving these 
players around the chessboard as you're going through this whole process. And then they converge and, and it all comes down to this, <laughs> this mm -hmm. moment here. So, you know, I hope that we're conveying that well. I think we're describing that well as, you know, the reality is, is that there are going to be things that are going to be happening simultaneously and you're going to need to keep everything moving. Corey, this is so helpful, man. It's just like, it's so nice to have uh, a, an expert team like Financial Corp as one of our remarkable experts. And we love to have you guys associated with your, your you are a, our broker of choice from the financial side of and consultant of choice from the remarkable launch program and from the remarkable practice side. We appreciate you guys partnering with us on this. I know there's some contact information on there. If people have questions, what's the best way to reach out to you guys, get in touch and, uh, and drill down on some of their questions? Picking up the phone and giving us a call never hurts. Um, we do, you know, stay on Zooms or calls all day long. So if we don't get back to you right away, you know, feel free to shoot an email as well or a text. If it's an email, I'll definitely get back to you as soon as I can. But really, either either one of those two methods, and we can schedule time to talk and go from there. There's not, there's no too early in the process. We'll have a conversation with you if you're two years out. It's not going to be an in-depth concept because this stuff changes yep. quarterly just about. <laughs> the SOPs and things are revised, but, you know, feel free. But we can talk, whatever your question is, you, you watch this, you read the non-step guide, whatever it may be. Hey, I've got a, a question. Question can lead to another question. Everything in SBA lending is caveated. So there's an exception to every rule and all things are never created equal. So there's plenty of scenarios we can talk through. Just um, don't hesitate to reach out. Like I said, it, there's no there's no dumb questions for this either because it's it's like French if you've never dealt with it, you know? So just um, wh whatever you've got, hit us with it. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. Corey Biddle from Financial Corp. All right, that's the nine steps to securing financing with a focus today on launching your new business. So if this resonated with you and you want to learn more about our remarkable launch program, we're going to put contact information down here below for Corey and Financial Corp. We'll also put a link down here below for you to learn more about the remarkable launch program itself. Uh, until then, guys, hey, you know what? You're about to take a giant step in your career launching your new business. That's super exciting. I've got one question for you. Why not make it remarkable? Cairo Matchmakers will help you find the right person for the job. If you're looking to hire the ideal chiropractic assistant, Cairo Matchmakers will help you find the specific person missing from your team so that you can get back to using your talents to serve more people. Or if you're looking to hire the ideal associate doctor, CMM can help. Cairo Matchmakers helps chiropractors like you find the ideal associate doctor to unlock your practice potential and get you the freedom that you desire. To learn more, go to chiromatchmakers.com. Please stick around for more business insights from this week's bonus interview with our remarkable success partner, dedicated to helping you more successfully help more people. Enjoy. Hey, CEO. So it's Dr. Pete here, and I'm in the studio with Stephen Tate from Online Marketing for Doctors. You guys know how important marketing is. You know we bring it up on this podcast regularly, how important it is that you have all five domains of your business working and functioning optimally. Today, we're going to double click on specifically the attraction domain of your business. And we're going to specifically have a conversation around the digital marketing function of your business. And uh, super pumped to be able to have this conversation with you, Stephen, today. Hey, thanks for uh, taking the time to meet with me and have this interview. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, so Stephen, 
is coming to us from Australia, which is awesome. Uh, again, appreciate you coming all the way over to the U.S. for this interview here today. No, man, I'm grateful for digital, right? See, digital enabled us to do this. Correct. And digital enables you to reach your patients, right? That's the power of it. So we're going to spend some time talking about the power and the value of digital marketing. Tell us a little bit about your business, online marketing for doctors. You know, you and I were chatting just a little bit, you know, before we, you know, went live here today and you were sharing about, you know, you guys are working in this space with doctors of of multiple different industries and verticals. So tell us a little bit about the business, what you guys are up to, and then we'll get specifically into, you know, what we're doing for chiropractic and how we can help doctors help more people. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So we are online marketing for doctors and I'm an account director there and we're a medical marketing agency. So despite sounding like we only work with doctors, we work with anyone in the medical space to help them uh, find and uh, bring in more business, more leads, more more foot traffic in the door for their businesses. We've worked with chiropractors pretty consistently for the last five years, but we work in a lot of other uh, medical verticals, including general practices, plastic surgeons, hair loss, weight loss, you name it, we, we do it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I think that I personally value working with businesses and collaborating with people who are in other spaces because I think we can actually learn a lot when we when we step out of our box and what we're super familiar with and the the folks that we're regularly running with and actually learn what are other industries and what are other verticals doing. I personally do that regularly as a CEO, as a leader, as a coach. I put myself in environments around other business leaders and other thought leaders and other businesses because it actually helps me in my space. So I love that you have a business that is in other spaces. And I think that actually personally, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think that it would add value in the value you provide to a chiropractor who obviously is listening to this podcast and what you bring to the table as far as giving them advice and counsel and advice and strategy for what's working in the space. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. No, because you den tend to see sort of a lot of similarities in each vertical. There's sort of like a headspace and a mentality and a way that they approach things. And they all sort of generally see things in a very similar way. And that's great because in some respects uh, for us, because you know, it's easy for us to sort of work with similar personalities and similar types and, and build a, an easy model. But if you're looking at it, trying to achieve something bigger and better than what is happening in your industry, you generally need to break the mold. And what we see in other spaces are the leaders that do break the mold in their industry and take advantage of that. We have many examples, but there's always one that I personally love because I worked with this person specifically, but it was a vasectomist and no one really cares to talk about vasectomy all that much, but he came in and just had a marketing mindset and just shook the Australian sort of vasectomy marketing industry and has done incredibly well, really his business is expanding just uh, just incredibly well over the last two, three years of working together. And, and it's just, he broke the mold. Everyone had a very similar mindset in that industry, but he came in and had a very clear vision on how he wanted to succeed through uh, digital marketing and he made it work for him. 
I love this. You know, just everything you're saying there, the idea of breaking the mold with your marketing mindset, that framing is so powerful because that's a really important thing for all of us to hear as we're listening as CEOs like, hey, what is the mold? In other words, what is the box that you've put yourself in mentally in the way you think? And is it possible that you need to break through? You need to break out of that mold, break out of that box, break out of that thinking. You know, we might say you have limiting beliefs or whatever. And, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But the bottom line is you're in some sort of a level of thinking and there's another level. Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we as doctors, we need to hear that. And I, and as a coach, I can do that for a, a doc that I work with. I can give them a mindset that's like, oh man, I needed to hear that. Or that's a different way to think about it. That's super helpful. And it usually is. So even hearing you say that's incredibly powerful and helpful. So, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to talk to you about something. We were chatting about this before, which was, you know, as a business owner, as a CEO, we think in terms of ROI, right? You know, so every business exists to solve a problem. You're solving the problem of helping doctors reach people in their community. And you're doing it through the online format. So talk a little bit about what you guys are doing there specifically because it's digital marketing, but there, there's multiple kind of components to that. So just share a little bit about what, what your you know online marketing for doctors includes or could include for, for a doc. Sure. Yeah. There's basically four key areas that we work with in terms of digital marketing. One is your web presence. Still, the most significant aspect of your business is your web presence. It will be the location that the majority of your traffic will come to meet you, learn about you, and get accustomed to what you're selling, what your brand is, what your style is, what your personality is. That's that will be your your number one digital asset, and so we work in web development. Uh, we also work with SEO to help sort of your websites get better ranked, and we work with digital ads, specifically with Google and Bing search ad engine ads, as well as social media ads. So typically your Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, but TikTok, whatever is sort of whatever is sort of applicable to your business, wherever your audience is. I think it's interesting that you said it. And so I'm just going to repeat it because it's worth repeating, which is you said the majority of your traffic comes from here. You talked about the web presence, you know, even in the midst of all the craziness with meta and Instagram and the TikTok and all the things that are going on, it's like, all of that is good. And it's, it has, it serves a purpose and, and all that. But your web presence, the majority of your traffic comes from here. Like that's big deal. And I think I, I just love hearing that. And I think it's important to be repeated because as you're listening to this as a CEO, think about your web presence. Is your web presence up to snuff? Is it at the standard? Is it up to the standard that it needs to be to represent the brand and your message, your voice, all that reaching the market and the avatars you guys are looking to reach? Is it relevant? Is it up to date? And that's a, that's a powerful, you know, point you made. And I just want to, as we're listening to this and you're a CEO at auditing your business, every time you listen to this podcast, hopefully you're thinking about your business and what you could be doing to make it better. You know, what Steven's talking about is absolutely vital. So I'm so happy you brought it in up. So I want to, well, I want to talk about, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. If I could expand on it even just a little bit more, I think yeah. one of the things that has really changed sort of over the last sort of five, 10 years, and people don't necessarily appreciate is that I think they think of consumers specifically as sort of like a one-time sort of uh, interaction with their business. They see an ad, 
they buy the service. And that's just not the case anymore. They see an ad, they research, they explore options, they come back, they go away, they sit. Definitely there are one-time ad viewers who will still purchase, but the great majority of people will cycle through a lot of your digital presence before they make a decision to purchase from you. And so if there isn't a great sort of breadth to your digital presence, if there isn't a consistency in your messaging across your digital presence, it won't be serving you. It won't be helping you. And so, yes, so while people will come to your Facebook page and see you there, those people will still also come to your website too. And completing and having a, a holistic approach to your marketing or thinking about your presence in that totality is is very important. I love this. Hey, you, 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 I like just having dialogues that are important. We all need to hear this and be reminded of it. And we always need to be auditing and, and asking ourselves these questions. So it's so powerful. So I want to talk about something you brought up earlier, which kind of piggybacks a little bit on what you're talking about, which is the concept of being adventurous. You were saying that um, when we were chatting about this, like, hey, you know, looking at, I said, compared chiropractors to, let's say, other other doctors that you're working with uh, in, in the medical space, let's just call it that way. And you said, you know, I wish that the chiropractors would be, were a little bit more adventurous. Maybe you didn't say exactly that, but that's kind of what I heard. And I, I resonate that with that because one of the things that we encourage the docs that we work with, Hey, you need to be investing more in your marketing. And a lot of times docs won't invest as much as maybe we advise them to do for various reasons. And that's their choice, but I want to hear it from you you know, what's your opinion? What is your thought on this? Because again, you said they're not the most adventurous when it comes to digital. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and maybe some guidance and advice for, you know, CEOs that are listening to this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess the way that we feel when we're working through a lot of these different verticals, as I mentioned before, is there's just a lot of similarity and mentality. And so everyone gets comfortable sitting in their own sort of uh, framework and how, they're used to things being done. And that's great if you want to be in, you know, in amongst everyone else and taking your sort of equal share of the pie. But if you're trying to do something that is bigger than what, you know, a piece of the pie is, then you need to be bolder, you need to be aggressive, and you need to move beyond that. It's, it's about now, I, I guess in our history, specifically as it relates to chiropractors, you know, they're 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 a lovely bunch. They're wonderful people. And I don't mean to be entirely judgmental and paint everyone with the same stereotypical brush, but they're they think of their product as a $60 one-time adjustment that they're trying to get someone in. And if you're telling them, well, you need to spend, you know, $20 a day on ads and they're like, wow, that's, that's nearly, that's a third of my, my fee. And I still have everything else that I need to pay for. That doesn't make sense. But if I think if, if you were to think of your patients and your prospective patients, what the lifetime value that they could provide to you, not just as a one-off adjustment, but if they build, if you build a relationship with them, uh, if you're doing sort of routinely monthly adjustments over years, 
they, they become a lot more valuable to them and the dollar signs around it become a lot more realistic. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's powerful. And I know our audience, anybody who's listening right now is going to be nodding their head like, you know, we talk about lifetime value, case average, case value. These are the KPIs that we track in our business. So you're preaching to the okay. choir, so to speak, right. and hopefully, no, in a good way. You know, this group, I think, is is picking up what you're laying down. And that is, but we need to have that mindset. Like we have to have that thought. We have to consider it and and process it that way when it comes to making the investment. Last question I really have is, you know, looking ahead, you know, you know, as you look ahead in the next year, two years, and you think about the industry of chiropractic and specifically the marketing, what do you see coming down the pipeline? And what do you see as, and I think you said it already, but it's worth probably repeating, is what's what's going to be important for us as far as staying in the marketplace and being competitive and reaching the people? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is a great question for us because th- I think that there's something very transformative that will be happening in the digital marketing agency space over the next sort of two, three, four years. Like it's it's coming fast. And we're not totally across exactly what is happening yet, but we're keenly aware that AI is shifting the way that people will be searching for, looking for businesses, and just sort of interacting with, I guess, resources to find answers. And so it's it is something that we're keenly aware is on the horizon and we are desperate to figure out the way to manipulate it, the way that we figured out how to manipulate SEO, the way we figured out how to manipulate, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads. We don't have, we're not there yet. It's still too early. It's still not there, but already the signs are very clear that AI will be very transformative for digital marketing. And so, you know, how do we take advantage of it? How do we make sure that with AI, one of the things that we we feel with AI is that it's a sort of a, a reduction in choice. I don't know if that really makes sense or if people resonates with people, but with if you go to Google and you type in a question, you get a variety of answers. You've got pages and pages of answers that you can scroll through. But you go to AI, you get one answer. And so how do you take advantage of that? And how do you make sure that you are that one answer? Well, that's a, that's the question we need to figure out because it's coming. It's coming fast. Wow. Man, I, I've been really enjoyed our time, Stephen. Thank you for uh, all the insights you're 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 adding and value you're adding to uh, to our audience. This is awesome. So my final question, I guess, is how do uh, how do doctors learn more about what you guys are doing? Get in t- contact with you or take a next step. Uh, what do you what do you recommend? Yeah, come to our website, onlinemarketingfordoctors.com. Uh, we've got a ton of resources there. We've got free webinars, downloadable ebooks with t- a lot of resources on that people can use to sort of sort it out for themselves on how they want to improve their practices marketing. And on there, there's there's a lot of different ways to reach out with, out to us. You can schedule a 15 minute uh, discussion with us, where we'll go through sort of what you're working on right now and give you advice and and thoughts on what you can do to get better. You can join us that way. 
or just send us an email, call us. Uh, they're all in the footer there. Uh, just come to the website. It's all there for you. Beautiful. Well, Stephen, thank you for joining me again. I've been speaking with and interviewing uh, Stephen Tate from Online Marketing for Doctors, one of our remarkable success partners, helping us as chiropractors reach the people in our marketplace, ultimately helping us help more people. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a guest here on our podcast. Thank you for all the insights you've given, having just a great conversation and uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's been lovely. All right, everyone. So you know the drill. Remember to tune in next week for the next episode of the Remarkable CEO Podcast. Until then, take care, everyone, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Remarkable CEO Podcast. Remember, what the world needs now is chiropractic. And what chiropractic needs now is more successful chiropractors. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us personally, direct message us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Now go and be remarkable.